All right, guys. Market news. Um, number number one on a list of ten, finance. Uh oh, guys, uh, is not under our jurisdiction, says Malta regulator. So I don't know if you guys remember way back in the day, might have been one of our first shows here. Um, I mentioned to you that at some point Malta was going to disown Binance, um, and that at the time I didn't know how much Malta was actually going to shill Binance. He actually had the Prime Minister at one point shilling Binance um, in a recorded presentation. So obviously, after doing so much shilling, you can't just you know kick the guys out on the curve that quickly because well you look like a moron. Uh, so it took some time, but now we have officially the MFSA is basically saying that they hold no licenses in Malta and thus not under their jurisdiction. They aren't saying, however, that they need to remove their offices from Malta. They haven't filed any official complaints or they haven't tried to levy any, uh, you know, levy any, let's say, fines against Binance. So we'll see if what happens from here on out. But now we have the official stance that Binance, in fact, is not uh, and has never been actually headquartered or running their operations from Malta, or at least their what would be licensable operations. Doesn't really come as a surprise, um, but it kind of goes back into, like I said, that original narrative that at some point they were going to have to disown uh, disown Binance, mainly because, because probably, and this, I don't know this to be true, but my speculation is, if you remember, think back November of last year, maybe October, um, Malta was, was threatened to be put on a gray list by FATF, um, FATF, uh, it, I don't know. Usually those acronyms you can actually pronounce as a word. That one, not really. FATF, I guess, um, is, uh, basically threatened to put them on a gray list mainly because of lack of lacks or, or, or them lacking, uh, oversight into AML. And I can almost guarantee you part of that was probably because of Binance. Um, so anyway, we'll see how this pans out. Number two on the list of 10, CME Bitcoin futures daily trading volume hits 2020 low. That's a bullish sign. I love when people call out, you know, this is bullish, this is bearish, you know, you know, because no matter what you say, you're correct. You know why? Because you don't give time frames, right? Well, this is a bullish signal. Even if the thing drops by 30%, but then in eight months it goes higher. Like what well, I told you, told you so, you know? Um, so daily uh, trading volume of Bitcoin futures, okay, the volume hit 118 million, the lowest since December 31st. You know, it's funny in crypto, like in normal markets, when you have a statement like that, hit the lowest since, it's usually going to be a year of six months, a year, 18 months, three years ago. In crypto, it's like yesterday, you know, volumes have hit the lowest since February 26th. You know, like, like, wow, like who, who really cares? Okay. So um, what's worth noting is volume of pullback Charlie from the multi-month highs. Um, so why is this author saying that low volume on futures means that uh, means bullish? Let's see. Uh, a drop in volume accompanied by an elevated open interest is usually considered a sign of investors holding onto their positions. In such cases, the market usually extends the preceding move. Bitcoin's price rose over 50% from lows from seven to 10,000 in the six and a half weeks to February 18th. Um, okay, so obviously that, that little piece of information is coming from the, uh, let's say, analyzing traditional market flows. Um I don't know if that really should be how you analyze Bitcoin futures, considering the fact that if you're buying futures and you're holding, is it, which is a synthetic. Now, now, they're not all synthetic. 
CME doesn't have pure synthetic futures, but some will be synthetic, right? Um, does it really have the same underlying weight to the underlying asset? I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I don't think this is necessarily a bullish sign. I wouldn't say it's bearish either. Um, but, uh, but all things considered, I don't think it points us in any direction whatsoever. It simply means that there's a lull in volume. Uh, number three on list 10, lawsuit alleging Ripple's XRP is unregistered security moves forward. Just make it a point to mention here, this is a lawsuit. And I believe it's a lawsuit filed not by any state or government. I believe it's a private lawsuit. Am I, am I wrong here? Let me see. United States Federal District Court has settled out a lawsuit. Okay, court documents filed. That just lawsuit in general was initiated by XRP investor. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, okay, same one. Okay, so this is this would carry much more weight if the you know it was the United States of America versus Ripple. This, however, is Bradley Sostak, an investor against Ripple, carries much less weight. I mean, significantly less weight. This is an individual uh, trying to make a claim that something they bought into. Is, uh, should be classified as a security. But it's not the SEC suing them. Uh, you know, it's not any government, it's not any state uh, or, or, or federal government for that matter. So it's allowed to move forward, but I wouldn't put too much weight behind this lawsuit. If the lawsuit is won and there's some civil engorgement or penalties levied against Ripple, that would open the door then uh, for some type of maybe SEC action. But at this point, that remains a big open question. So I, I wouldn't put too much weight behind this as of yet. Number four on a list of 10, Steven Seagal charged by SEC for promoting 2008, 2018, sorry, ICO. This one made me laugh. Um, I saw in, I actually saw this article um, whenever it came out a couple of days ago, yesterday, whenever it was. Um, and it was something along the lines of that they offered to pay him close to, I think it was a million. Uh, well, it was like 250,000 in cash. And then uh, 750000 worth of their token, of which he was paid $154,000, I believe. I mean, does Steven Seagal really cost that much? I mean, the guy hasn't been in a movie since, like, I don't even know, man. It's been decades. And if he was in a movie, people would only watch it to laugh at him at this point. So um, I don't know why they paid that much. I think they could have got somebody a little, a little higher up on the shelf for a million. Um Anyway, so just goes to show that, um, you know, the, the ICO kind of reign of terror from the SEC, them going after not only um, issuers, but also people who were promoting these issues with, because, you know, they were promoting them on Twitter and didn't necessarily say, oh, by the way, I was paid to make this promotion. That's the whole beef of this, uh, of this argument here from the SEC is that you can be paid by someone to promote their product, service, ICO, whatever, um, but you have to say you're being paid. And they didn't. Um, but it just goes to show that they're still hunting, right? They're still hunting. We're still going to see more cases come. I don't think people say ICOs are dead. And I don't think that's actually true um, because if you can raise money for nothing, you're probably going to do it. So I think ICOs will probably see a reverberance uh, in, the, in, in the future under a more regulated umbrella, more structured. But anyway, the point is they're definitely not dead because, well, they're still getting sued. Uh, and people that, are, that, that dealt with them are still getting, getting charges brought against them. So in that light, I guess they'll probably be here forever. Uh, number five on the list of 10, blockchain pioneer Caitlin Long to build crypto bank in Wyoming. Caitlin, sorry. Um, all right. So Wyoming famously has passed a bunch of legislation that's very localized and regional. Um, 
Uh, let me see. I think I clicked on the wrong link here. Give me a second while I bring up the right one. Actually, no, I'm getting the wrong link. Anyway, forget the link. Uh, so Wyoming has famously passed a lot of a lot of legislation that's specific to Wyoming. Um, and you know, the term crypto bank just really just really pisses me off for for a couple reasons, right? First of all, the whole reason that crypto became let's say infamous at first and now famous is to get away from the centralization of banks. Now this is a this is me as a CEO of a centralized exchange, but hear me out. Um, and now because people, you know, what, what I've always, it pisses me off, but it, 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 was, it wasn't unexpected. So if you've, you've heard me rant about this before, I'll give you half the rant. Half the rant is that uh, every time there's innovation in, in, let's say, fintech or finance in general, what happens is, is the fintech that makes sense, the fintech that doesn't really make sense just simply dies, like in any industry. The fintech that actually makes sense gets eaten by traditional finance, and then they make the choice whether they're actually going to use it or kill it. Same thing happens in lots of industries, right? There's been movies about like the Ford Motor Company, you know, buying buying tech that, or different different auto, automotive companies buying tech where you can like drive cars with water instead of gas and they just kill the tech, all these things. But the same, a lot, a lot of time that happens in finance. And here with crypto, I knew from, a, from as soon as I kind of heard about crypto that, you know, if this works, if it generally is there, we have the ability to make decentralized networks for cross-border payments, it will become a tool in traditional finance, right? All this great idea of how we're going to separate ourselves from the banks and everything is, go, is not going to come to fruition. The, the, the definition of the term bank will change in people's minds. I can almost guarantee you my youngest daughter and definitely her kids eventually will not define the word bank as I would define it or my grandparents would define it. Even the way my grandparents define bank is not the way I define bank, right? My grandparents, if you asked what a bank was, of course, they're not here anymore. But if they were, they would say, well, it's a place that you go in your, in your, in your hometown, in the center of town, where you go and talk to, to the banker. And when you need money, you know, for your business or to buy a house, you go and ask them for it. And, you know, based on the fact that they know you and you know them and there's some trust in that relationship, they give you the money. That's a bank. That's not what a bank is today. A bank today is, is a company that will, that tries basically to monetize every aspect of your life. Uh, and the more they can monetize it, the more they will. And if they have to lie, cheat, and steal to do that, that's what they do. That's generally how most people would define a bank today. I think crypto is going to change that. However, crypto bank, it's it's, it's creating a bank under, under current legislation that just allows crypto. Why? You know, the, the, the whole reason for crypto is to be able to make, to move money without having to pay intermediaries to move the money. So custody is one thing. Okay. People will need custody. That's for sure. Especially when we're talking about big money. Anyway, to cut the ramp. So I'm not here for 20 minutes. Point is, is that I think the term crypto bank is ridiculous. Um, and I, and if you're going to create a bank in one state that's garnered by the laws of one state that you cannot do banking in all other states and that it's, it's far-fetched to think these same Wyoming laws will be adopted by all 50 states, you're probably in a losing battle. Uh, number five, uh, number six on the list of 10, Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao, we'll call him CZ for short, uh, says Bitcoin SV founder Craig Wright is a fraud. Well, don't usually say this. Don't know how many times I've said this in the history of the show, but I agree with CZ. Um, and I think if you look at the Craig Wright story and think, I mean, I've had people say, well, he's an intelligent guy. He's made a lot of good predictions. I think somebody said that the other week right here on the show, uh, it's not hard to make a good prediction, right? Especially when you can make 5,000 predictions and one happens to come true, you know? I mean, a, a clock, even a, even a clock with no, you know, that's that's broken is right twice a day, right? 
And that's what we kind of have here. But he is a fraud. You know, a fraud in the sense that he's not Satoshi. He did not create fucking, he did not write the original white paper. He's not the guy that started this whole thing. He is definitely a fraud. He's been proven to be a fraud now. I don't know how many times, um, you know, but anyway, he's other things other than a fraud. But in that specific light, he definitely is a fraud. Number seven on list 10 report, Iranian general advocates crypto use for skirting sanctions. Well, that Iranian general probably doesn't know much about crypto. Um, so while I guess you can make the case for Monero and other types of, let's say, privacy coins where you can mask, uh, or the case for mixers and trying to do, you know, atomic swaps and trying to move from one asset to another because, or moving from one service to another, because once crypto hits any type of service, whether that be an exchange, whether it be a mixer, it's almost impossible to trace it after that service because the internal service has internal books, meaning that once it hits there, it can go anywhere it wants. And when it leaves, it doesn't necessarily come from that same individual. So um, in that inst instance, I guess, okay. But in terms of laundering, let's say, cash or crypto, cash is much easier to launder. Cash has much less data points than crypto does. And eventually, even with the best laundering skills, there will be enough data to give probable cause to the fact that that money was probably linked to some individual when it's crypto because the data is public and it can't be erased. So uh, skirting sanctions with crypto is a stupid idea. Number eight in a list of 10, Swiss Stock Exchange invests in an institutional trading platform for digital assets. So famously, Six um, had a white paper roughly, I don't know, six months ago, eight months ago, about having kind of what CoinMetro and Ignium are trying to do with the CSD, which is a full encompassing capital market infrastructure. Um, I guess they figured out that that's not that easy to do. And now instead of doing it all themselves, well, they've started to branch out and invest some money and buy different pieces of that ecosystem. Just goes to show that, um, you know, we've had people question CoinMetro in the past about, you know, why didn't you guys follow the what everybody else was doing, like Binance, for example, kind of, you know, make a product as fast as you can. Doesn't matter if it's all that nice, different or whatever, and just spend all your money on marketing, get as many clients as you can. The point is, is that you, 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 can, you can be successful doing that and you can fail doing that. If you fail doing that, you have no value in your company because you own nothing. You have a shitty software that no one's going to buy. Um, and you know, you can bring on white labels or whatever you're going to do, but again, you don't own anything. So making, uh, products that are, uh, unique and unique to your brand actually add a lot of value to your brand. Um, and here I think Swiss stock exchange is, is making a decision because they probably were having too much trouble or, or it was taking too long for them to create a product. So now they decide to buy one from someone else. But again, the place they're buying it from, you know, where do you think, where do you think the value in that business was? We just, now we know where the value is. It was in their platform because it's just been purchased. At uh, number nine, listen 10, CFTC holds a meeting to learn about stable coins, to learn all about stable coins. So I was just in Montenegro recently teaching the central bank um, and the capital market authority about stable coins. Um, so, so yeah, I think this trend is, is, is something that's happened around the world. Lots, you know, every single um, Fed bank or in every single region and every single large uh, or every single, sorry, uh, um, let's say, uh, like, Jesus, I don't know why, why this is escaping me now. Um, you know, state-run bank, Jesus, um, will end up issuing their own, you know, uh, digital currency, central bank issued digital currency, CBDC, right, for short. Uh, and I think the CTFC, what they're trying to engage in, knowing that's going to happen and knowing that more and more stable coins are coming onto the market, I think the point that they're trying to look into is, are these things classified correctly? Would they fall under our jurisdiction as futures or as commodities? 
Um, or are they going to fall under the jurisdiction of somebody else? I think it's pretty clear that it, it all depends on the underlying asset and the structuring of the uh, of the token itself. In most cases, you know, with, with putting a trust account using fiat currency, they're not going to fall under the jurisdiction of the CTFC, uh, the CFTC, sorry. Um, but in, in some cases, they possibly could. For instance, a gold-backed stablecoin, right? Gold, uh, the regulator for gold is, well, the Commodities and Futures Trading Commission, obviously, because it's a commodity. So if you, it, that, I think what they're trying to do is understand which, which of these assets is going to fall under their jurisdiction and how exactly they're going to regulate that asset um, when you talk about regulation that currently exists. And if they're going to need to lobby to, to lawmakers to create new regulation, if the regulation they have isn't sufficient. Uh, number 10 on the list of 10, Dust Network plans to tokenize equity for thousands of Dutch companies. Uh, this is actually an interesting one, and I didn't, uh, let me see if I can actually pull a link up. Let's see. Moving very fast. Okay, security token platform, Dust Network says it will tokenize shares of thousands of small, medium-sized enterprises, Netherlands. Okay. Uh, it's partnered with Firm24, one of the region's largest shareholder registries, and will use blockchain for an automated infrastructure that could reduce. Okay. Blockchain infrastructure provider. Okay. Okay, so they're actually, okay, so what they're doing, except. Okay, so, so the big story here is they've partnered with a registrar and automatically when you when you create a company, you will, instead of having share certificates or digital share certificates, you will have tokenized share certificates. So this doesn't necessarily make it any easier. It actually doesn't give, it actually doesn't do anything uh, except to bring these things on the blockchain, but it's not solving any of the problems that currently exist. It's not that difficult to buy into a Dutch entity if you're doing a private placement, right? Token and tokenizing, and that's not going to make it any easier. It's not going to make, it's not really solving anything. Um, what it what it's doing is getting us closer to those that are doing settlement and have natively tokenized assets, right? So this is giving us some natively tokenized assets to make it easier to run a settlement for tokenized assets. So that's, that's kind of cool. But in terms of really solving a pain point, they're kind of doing the grunt work to help solve the pain point. They're not really solving any pain points as far as I can see. But it's cool to see that somebody's working on that piece of the overall problem. So I'll have a bit of look in this uh, on my own time and see what I can uh, what I can figure out, see if maybe there's a, there's, a, there's a reason to reach out to these guys. Have a good day, guys. See you guys later. Till next week. And uh, see you then. Cheers.